Well, I want you to take your Bible with me and I want you to find your place in 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, on Sunday nights for several months, we've been looking at the life of Elijah. And uh, I want to uh, use this Sunday morning. We're not having uh, a regular service tonight. And next Sunday night, uh, I might focus a little bit more on prayer and how to pray for camp meeting and and some things, uh, some thoughts about prayer. Uh, Lord willing, next Sunday night, Lord, don't change my mind. And but I've got, I've had this this text and this thought burning on my heart, and uh, and so I just had to preach it this morning. And I believe this is the Lord's will, and I want to give you something that may help you. I want you to leave your Bible open to all of chapter nineteen, uh, but I want to just read maybe the first eight verses to get us started, and then we might look at a few things uh, uh, later on in the chapter. And uh, still want to come back maybe at a later date and. And, uh, and preach some more out of chapter 19. But just a, just a simple thought. I'm going to be honest, probably one of the most, uh, uh, one of the most uh, easily identifiable passages uh, for some of us. We seem like, it seems like we, we have uh, trouble identifying, at least I do anyway, I have trouble identifying with some of these great characters in the Bible in their strengths. I feel, I feel like I don't measure up. I feel like there's no way I, I'm even comparable in any way. In some ways, we read about these Bible characters and we think, man, they're superhuman. I mean, it's just like some kind of supermen. They're giants of the faith. Uh, But when the Bible exposes uh, somebody's weakness, I feel like I can identify in their weakness. And uh, the truth is there are no super Christians. There are no superhumans. These men, uh, especially Elijah, is told to us by James in the New Testament that he was a man subject to like passions just like us, as we are, the same feelings. And, uh, and though I may not experience the same mountaintops that he did quite literally on Mount Carmel, uh, but I, do, I can recognize him in the valley, and I can see myself in this text, and I believe there are some things to help us in this text. I hope that you'll let them help you. And I want to begin reading in verse number 1, 1 Kings chapter 19. In verse number 1, we'll read about eight verses and then we'll put things in context here in just a moment. But notice the Bible says, 1 Kings 19, 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And I want to preach on this thought just for a moment this morning. 
keeping an eye on our disappointments. Keeping an eye on our disappointments. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have just to open up your word and get some help from it. And Lord, I pray that the message would be made real by the Holy Spirit of God or that he would take the word of God and apply it to the hearts of the people of God in here today. And Lord, I pray that some people would get some real help, Lord, because we all know what it's like to deal with disappointments. But Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd give us victory. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, help me. Lord, you know my heart. You know where I'm at. And uh, Lord, you know my struggles with even these very things. And Lord, I, I feel like I'm preaching on my weaknesses this morning. But God, I pray that you'd undergird me and give me strength uh, to proclaim truth and believe it with all my heart. Lord, get the glory for all that's done. and We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, when our chapter opens up in verse number 1, we find that it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. This chapter opens up with a message that is being relayed from Ahab to Jezebel. Now, you have to go back to chapter 18 and remember everything that took place in chapter 18 because that is what Ahab is telling Jezebel. Jezebel was not on Mount Carmel when the fire of God fell. She didn't see any of that. Uh, there wasn't a real-time communication like Facebook or Twitter or live stream or YouTube or anything like that or text messages. Uh, she had to get the message the old-fashioned way, and that's when Ahab come back home and told her what had happened. And so I can just picture this in my mind, how Ahab runs back into the palace after everything that happened, and he told her about the confrontation. He told her about Elijah confronting the people of Israel, saying, if God is God, then follow him. If Baal be God, then follow him. How long halt ye between two opinions? How long are you going to mess around and worship idol gods and, and say you believe the true God? What, what, what are you going to do? And he confronted them with their indecisiveness and their indecision and their, and their, and their wishy-washiness and going back and forth. He confronted them. And I believe Ahab told Elijah about the confrontation that Elijah, uh, Elijah made. I believe uh, uh, Ahab told Elijah about the contest. Don't you think Ahab began to tell uh, uh, Jezebel? I'm not sure what I'm saying, but I mean to say Ahab told Jezebel. Don't you think Ahab told Jezebel all about the contest and how, you know, Elijah said, I want you to grab, uh, uh, build an altar over here, and I'm going to rebuild this altar over here, and then we're going to take a, a bullock, you take a bullock, and I take a bullock. And he told the prophets of Baal, you take your altar, and you take your bullock, and you, you, you pray to your God, Baal, and, and, and you call out to him, and, and, and I'm going to pray to my God, Jehovah God, and I'm going to call out to him, and whoever's God, uh, whoever uh, answers by fire, let him be God. That'll be the true God. And I think Ahab told old Jezebel, said, Would you know it? Our prophets, they, they, they prayed all morning long. They even began to jump up and down and hoop and holler and cut themselves and, and no answer. And there was nothing. But... Elijah, he went over on his altar and he dug a trench and man, he filled it with water. He made everything wet and, uh, and he just prayed 63 words. That's all he said. And all of a sudden, whoosh, man, fire came down from heaven. It licked up the water and it licked up the dust and it consumed the, consumed the sacrifice. And just like that, man, everybody saw fire fall down from heaven when Elijah called on Jehovah God. I think Ahab told Jezebel about all that. Then I think Ahab told Jezebel about the confession. 
I believe Ahab began to tell Jezebel, said, man, once that happened, when that fire fell, all the people, they fell on their face and they began to say, the Lord is God. The Lord, He is the God. And they confessed Jehovah God as the one true God. And then I believe, well, and I don't know what Jezebel's doing right here, but I can just see her just getting fuming mad. You know, Jezebel really wasn't really known for her gentle, kind spirit. She didn't have a meek and quiet spirit. Uh, Jezebel was known for her, uh, well, what we call Jezebel's for today. We still use that term, right? Nobody names their kids Jezebel. That's not what you name their kids. Maybe a dog. Did somebody have a dog named Jezebel? Seemed like We didn't have a dog named Jezebel, did we? We thought about naming her. We had a dog one time in another dispensation. It didn't work out. We decided to have kids instead. I think we just thought about naming it. But uh, Jezebel, nobody names her kids. That's, that's not an endearing term, and there's a reason for that. Jezebel, she's a, she's a mean-spirited, pagan, godless uh, I mean, immodest. I mean, just everything you could possibly think of, just wicked as all get out. And there she is, Ahab. And I, I'm surprised Ahab had the guts to even tell her these things. But Ahab, I can just see him uh, just trembling as he's there. And she's just getting more mad and more mad. And Ahab says, hold on, hold on. There's just a little bit more I got to tell you. I got to tell you about the consecration. I got to tell you how they took care of all of the, your prophets, all them prophets that you sent for uh, from your pagan hometown, your Gentile country, uh, they, and, and those 400 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of the grove. Uh, I need to tell you, uh, 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 Elijah uh, had all the people take them hostage and he took a sword and they hacked them all to pieces. Every single one of them are dead. All your prophets are dead. And she's so mad, I can imagine. Jezebel knew something was up. She had to because she had seen the rain. It's a great rain come down from heaven. That happened before Ahab even got back to the house there, right? He rode in the rain in his chariot. There he is, drenching, wet, telling Jezebel this story. And I can just imagine her getting very, very upset. Of course, we know that because we read this text and what's going on. But Elijah, he's standing at the entrance of Jezreel. Remember, God touched him. He was able to run in front of the chariot almost 20 miles from the top of Mount Carmel to Jezreel. And he ran in front of the chariot. And Elijah is standing there at the entrance waiting for the news of how Jezebel is going to handle the message that Ahab is delivering. And I can just picture Elijah standing there. He, he, he's standing there waiting on good news. He's standing there waiting to hear good news of Jezebel's repentance. I really believe that with all my heart. And I'm sure as Elijah is standing there at the entrance waiting to hear the news. Elijah is picturing in his mind Ahab telling her about the fire and about the prophets. And then, of course, she can see the rain that has come. And it's been three and a half years since it rained and God turns the faucets back on and it is the one true God. Baal has been discredited. All these things. And I can just, 
See, Elijah's standing there and in his mind he's imagining all this happening. Ahab is telling Jezebel all these things. And in Elijah's mind, he can see Jezebel fall on her knees in humble repentance, acknowledging the true God. He's probably in his mind imagining what it's finally going to be like for Israel to be a place where Jehovah God is worshipped exclusively. Baal is gone. His prophets are gone. His altars are gone. And everybody's worshipping the true God. I, I mean, I can see Elijah standing there and he's picturing revival in his mind. This is revival. The fire, the flood. Surely this is the start of a great revival in Israel. Revival's coming. It's on its way. That's not what happened at all, is it? Verse 2, the Bible says, Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods, little g, gods, do to me. So Jezebel still trusts in her gods, doesn't she? Do to me, and more also, what, what is she talking about? Talking about what Elijah did to her prophets. Said, let the gods do to me, and even more, it's not even going to be worse if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, I'm about her prophets, by tomorrow about this time. Revival is not what happened at all, is it? Jezebel hardens her heart. She stiffens her neck. Ahab, his backbone vanishes again. He had a vanishing backbone. It's a horrible condition for husbands to have. Apostasy wins the day again. And then the threat on Elijah's life says it all. No revival at Ahab and Jezebel's house. And the Bible says in verse 3, I like this, it says, And when he saw that, how many of y'all still with me? Say amen. amen. When he saw that. He saw it. It doesn't say when he heard it. It says when he saw it. It's not the message. It was not the death threat on his life that really affected Elijah and wounded Elijah. It was what he saw with his eyes. That's what got him. What did he see? Rebellion, rejection, no revival, no change. He saw failure. See, a lot of people think that Elijah took off because that's what he did in verse 4. He, he goes all the way down to Beersheba and then goes, another, goes a, a, another, uh, another day's journey into the wilderness. A lot of people think it was Elijah's fear. He was scared of the death threat that, uh, that Jezebel made and that's why he ran. But it was not fear that caused Elijah to run. It was failure that caused Elijah to run. It was perceived failure. It was panic. He was wounded on the inside. He was wounded by disappointment. He expected one thing to take place and another thing took place. It's called disappointment. By the way, that's what disappointment is. Disappointment is unmet expectations. That's what disappointment is. Disappointment is when you are expecting one thing, but then you experience something else. 
Disappointment is when you're looking for one thing, you're hoping for one thing, you're, you're believing this one thing is going to take place, and then something else happens altogether. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 that hope deferred, that's a disappointment. When hope, your expectation is deferred, says that, that it maketh the heart sick. Disappointment will about wound you deeper than almost anything else can wound you. And that's the truth. Everybody in here knows what it's like to be disappointed, to be wounded by disappointment. Maybe something at your job, maybe you expected this, but it turns out to be something altogether different. Maybe somebody that you loved, you helped, you invested in, and then they up and left you and turned their back on you. Maybe, uh, maybe it's some family member that you've put trust in, tried to help and prayed for and expected them to do better, a prodigal to come home and you've been praying and you want to say, but it's not happening. Things are getting worse. A spouse lets you down, a friend that you counted on, a future that you thought you'd be living in right now. You thought it would be this way and that has not come to pass and maybe it looks like it won't ever come to pass. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a church thing, spiritual matter. That's the world I live in. That's the realm I, I live in. That's kind of, the, the, that's really what's going on here. It's Elijah's spiritual disappointment. Things that, that there was things that he thought was going to happen spiritually. Things that he was expecting spiritually. A nationwide revival. Revival in Ahab and Jezebel's house. Revival in the administration. Finally, a godly king in Israel. Maybe in a godly administration in, in, amongst God's people. Would it, would it be? Could it be? We've been praying for it and striving for it and looking for it. And yet, it's not there. And then there's the disappointment that we have in our own selves. A lot of times we don't even meet our own expectations a lot of times. Disappointment is real. Spiritual disappointment really, really hurts. I, I mean, if listen, I mean, being a pastor, you, 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 you know what it's like to experience disappointment. I've disappointed people and I've had people disappoint me. People I thought would stay faithful and stay true and stay right and People I've prayed for and I thought, man, God, please do something in their life. And yet it just seems like it's not getting better. It's getting worse. They don't get closer to God. They're getting further away from God. They're not getting more. They're not get, getting, getting, getting better. It's getting, they're getting more rebellious and more stiff-necked. And young people you love and pray for, and then they get older and they just they don't want to have anything to do with God. And they turn their back on God and families that you know you can watch them and you know they're making bad decisions and wrong choices. And, man, you just, it just... It just wounds you on the inside. It wounds you on the inside. And that's where Elijah's living. See, everything that he had planned for, everything that he prayed for, everything that he prepared for, you see, the rain had been gone for three and a half years. Whose idea was that? You say, well, that was God's idea. Yeah, maybe it was in, in, a, in a theological sense, but can I tell you, the Bible tells us in James that Elijah prayed for the rain to stop. See, Elijah was a man who was burdened for the sickness in his land. He said, God, you said in your word, if there's sickness, idolatry, rebellion like this, you said that you'd stop the rain. And he prayed for God to stop the rain. And guess what God did? Three and a half years later, God put it on his heart and he prayed again for the rain to start back. And he prayed again and the rain started back. And of course, before that, the fire falls. No question in everybody's mind. God is the true God. There's no, it should have, everybody should know. Everybody should fall on their face. Everybody should respond. Revival should break out immediately. This should happen. And then it doesn't. 
And Elijah was absolutely devastating. And can I tell you, Elijah's absolutely devastating. And can I tell you, that's exactly the same kind of things that might happen in our life. And we got to watch. we got to keep an eye on our disappointments because I tell you, you can't avoid disappointments. They're going to come. You're going to expect things, and, and it's just not going to work out the way that you thought it would. But you better keep an eye on your disappointments. Let me tell, tell you why. Because those things cause other things to happen in your life. And it can make things absolutely worse. And we can learn some things to watch out for when we experience disappointment in our lives. I'm going to give you three things just real quick about keeping an eye on disappointment, things to watch out for when disappointment comes in your life. Number one, let me say this. First of all, you need to watch out for growth. You need to watch for growth. Here's what I mean by that. Disappointment hardly ever just happens and then we move on. Disappointment hardly just, oh, you know, I was expecting things to turn out just a little bit different, and then we just move on to something else. That's not the way it works. I don't know how it works with you, but a lot of times I sit in that disappointment, and I stew in that disappointment, and I sulk in that disappointment, and I just marinate in it, and I think about it, and I think about it, and the devil, if he can use it to to, to hinder you and trip you up and trap you, then he will definitely do that, and he will use it not as just an event that takes place, in your life, but the devil will use that disappointment and your flesh will use that disappointment as a starting place, as a launching pad, as a soil in which more destructive things grow out of it because it's not really the disappointment that will hurt you so much as it is what the disappointment leads to in our lives if they're not dealt with in a spiritual manner. What does it lead to? What does it lead to? Well, it'll lead to defeat. It'll lead to defeatism, a defeated kind of attitude. It'll lead to that attitude that just says, well, I'm done. I'm done. If that's the way it's going to be, if that's the way people are going to act, if, that's how, if I do this and I do this and I do this and, I do this, and Lord, I've done X, I've done Y, I've done Z, and I, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And I, I mean, I, what else can be done? What else can I do for them? And they still won't get right. They still won't repent. They still won't. What do I do? That's fine. I quit and I'm done. And that's where Elijah was. He said, I'm done. And Elijah went, the Bible says, to Beersheba. If you look on a map in your Bible, you'll notice Beersheba's at the very, very bottom. Mount Carmel's up near the top of Israel. Beersheba's at the bottom. In fact, a lot of times when you read your Bible through, it'll say something like this, from Dan to Beersheba. Have you ever read that in the Bible? From Dan to Beersheba. Why does it say that? Because Dan's at the top, Beersheba's at the bottom. It means from the top to the bottom. From Dan to Beersheba. Every, every man from Dan to Beersheba or whatever. Beersheba, he went as far as he could go. And then the Bible says in verse 3, I believe it is, or verse 4, that he left his servant there. Is that right? Verse 3. He left his servant there. You know why he left his servant there? It wasn't just because he wanted to be alone. He left his servant there because he was done serving. If you're done serving, you don't need a servant no more. There ain't no service to do. He said, God, I'm done. I'm going to run as far away as I can run. 
and I'm going to leave my servant because I'm done and he's done and there's no service to accomplish anymore. I've done everything that I know to do. I prayed. You answered that prayer. I I, I called fire down from heaven. You answered that prayer. I I prayed again. You sent the rain. You answered that prayer. And then, listen, I'm just done. It's just over. I'm just, there's nothing else to do. What else is there to do? I can't do anything else. It was over for him. Defeatism, if that's a word. He had that attitude. I'm just done. I'm just defeated. I'm disappointed. A disappointment that goes so deep and hurts you so bad that you're just going to quit. That you're just going to be done with it. And that's where many people have arrived in their life. They're done with church. They're done with people. They're done with goals. They're done dreaming. They're done trying to achieve. They're done with marriage, maybe. They're done with family. They're done with friends. But they're just done. And by the way, what's so sad is, man, I've seen this in church, people. They, they get done. They don't leave, but they're done. They quit, but they didn't quit. They're still here, but they're done. They're done. People have disappointed them so bad. Expectations that they really, really, really wanted to happen so badly, it didn't happen. Things that they never expected would happen. That's what does happen. And it hurts them so badly, they just said, I'm done. Now, they'll still come to church. They still sit on a pew, but they're done. They're done. They're done with people. They're done with God. They're done with trying to live right. They're done with, they're done with all. A, man, look, I did all these things. I did X, Y, and Z, and something still happened to me. I did X, Y, and Z, and I still got hurt. I said, I'm done. Can I tell you something? If you're doing X, Y, and Z, whatever those things are, so you won't get hurt, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Amen. Some people think, well, if I go to church, that'll keep me from getting hurt. No, if you go to church, that might increase the chances of you getting hurt. Because where there's more people, there's more propensity and potential to get wounded. More people you love, more people you let in. You're you're, you're opening up your heart for people to, to stab it and hurt it. Amen. Everybody okay? I know y'all are listening. This ain't a... I know, I know you're not running the aisles this morning. I knew that when I, this message, when I put this message together. I knew this wouldn't be a run the aisles kind of message. But, but there's, I'm preaching to somebody in here that you're just done. You're here, but you're done. You're done. You're in Beersheba. You went as far away as you can go. Ran all the way to Beersheba. And you're just done. And you left your, ser- left your service. I won't, need, I won't be needing this anymore. Because I don't plan on doing anything else. I'm going to get under this juniper tree, and then I'm just going to ask God to kill me. And by the way, when you think of a juniper tree, it's not like an oak tree. A juniper tree is a bush. Look it up. It's like a bush. He, did, he wasn't like sitting there, you know, under a, under a tree. No, he got like down. He's laying down, and he's, he, he's hit himself in a bush. <laughs> if you're sitting under a tree, people can still see you. He don't want to be seen. He's hiding in a bush. That's what a juniper tree is. And that's where he's at. It leads to despair. It can. Disappointment, if you don't watch it, it'll lead to despair. A despair of life. Because that his request? Isn't that what he said? And he requested of the Lord to take his life. What did he say? Requested for himself that he might die. God, just kill me. Just kill me. He wasn't just done serving. Listen now. He was done living. 
Now listen, I want to say a few things about this. Elijah had the mindset, we can look into his mindset just a little bit and find out that here's what, here's what his mindset was. If I can't have what I thought I was going to get, if I can't have what I want, if I can't get what I was expecting, if I can't get what I feel like I was owed, I deserved, then what's the point of even living? Now, I'm going I'm to give you some insight into your own life right here, your own mind, because whatever, you're, whatever makes you think like that, and everybody, you, you have thought like that before, it's not worth going on. It's not worth going on. It's not worth living. That's it. Can I tell you, whatever your source of despair is, that's your sor- that was your source of living to begin with. See, as long as Elijah had hope that there could be repentance at Ahab and Jezebel's house, it didn't matter. He could, live, he could have ravens bring him food. It didn't bother him. He could go live with a widow woman. It didn't bother him. He could raise a dead boy. It didn't bother him. He could stand in front of a king and put his finger in his face. It didn't bother him. He wasn't scared. He wasn't a little, he wasn't a little whiny scared. He wasn't, he wasn't a little fearful, flimsy prophet. He wasn't scared of anything. But that is when, as long as he thought it was working towards a goal, it's working towards an end, something is going to happen. And as long as he still had that hope, this is what's going to happen, he was fine. He could go through anything. But when his... Disappointment came and his expectation was cut off. It wasn't worth living for anymore. Can I tell you what that actually is? Whatever it is that causes you to feel like it's not worth living for anymore, that's what you're living for. And that is what we call idolatry. An idol is something that not just you put above God, but an idol is something that you look for to give you significance and give you satisfaction and give you fulfillment. An idol is something that you look at and say, if I can't have this, then it's not worth living. If I can't have this, for some people it's a position. For some people it's an amount of money. For some people it's a popularity. It's got to be a certain uh, uh, acceptance, approval by a certain group of people. And they live for that. And they long for that. And they feel like if it's cut off, if they can't have that, then what's the point of going on? If I can't have that house, if I can't have that car, if I can't have that person, if I can't have that lifestyle, if I can't have their approval, if I can't have this, then it's not even worth going on for. That's called idolatry. Elijah was actually guilty of the very thing that he was trying to preach against in other people. What was Elijah's idol? It was success, ministry success. Elijah's idol was wanting to see Ahab and Jezebel repent. You say, hold on, how could that be an idol? That's not a bad thing. Can I tell you, most of your idols are good things. Yeah. Is family a good thing? Yeah. But not if you make it an ultimate thing. Then it becomes a bad thing. Can money be a good thing? Now, the love of money is not... But can money be a good thing? Yeah. But not when you make it an ultimate thing. Then it becomes a bad thing. Amen. Can church be a good thing? Absolutely. Not when you make it the ultimate thing. You say, hold on a second. I thought... No, 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 no. Because if you live and die by what the church is doing, what happens when the church splits? What happens when things go sideways at church? If you've made this your ultimate thing, you, is the preacher a good thing? Yeah, when he preaches short, somebody say amen. But if you make the preacher the ultimate thing, you've just turned him into a bad thing. 
If you make your children the ultimate thing in your life, you just turn into a bad thing. If you make your job the ultimate thing, you just turn into a bad thing. I love preaching revivals. I love preaching meetings. I love preaching. But if I turn preaching into the ultimate thing, if I can't preach, then Lord, just kill me. That's idolatry. Because God didn't just make me to preach. God made me for Him, for His glory. Well, if my wife leaves me, you might as well just kill me. I'm done. You've turned her into the ultimate thing, and that's a bad thing. Anything that you turn into an ultimate thing in your life, you've just ruined. You've corrupted it. And it's ultimately going to hurt you. The only person, the only thing that can withstand the pressure of being the ultimate thing in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can fulfill you. He's the only one that can satisfy. He's the only one that will never let you down. Your job will let you down. Your family will let you down. Your preacher will let you down. Your church will let you down. But God never will let you down. He's the only one that can handle the pressure. Don't put that pressure. Don't turn your kids to idols. Don't turn, don't turn your spouse into an idol. Don't turn your job into an idol. Don't turn sports into an idol. Don't Because they can't handle it. They will let you down at some point and you will be crushed by the weight of that disappointment if you've turned that thing into an ultimate thing. I've seen it. I've seen people, they've turned their kids into their idols. But guess what? Those kids, they grow up and they move out of the house. They do. What do you do? You just have another one. That's what you do. Amen. You just start over. But what do you do if you can't do that? I'll tell you what, put your hope and trust in the Lord. Kids, they grow up and they forget about my, my mom and dad. They always, they always complain about, you never call me, never do this, you know, never do that. I, I try, should try harder, all right? Y'all pray for me. But I'm going to tell you something. If you make your if, if that's what it is, it'll be. And if the preacher, if he's your ultimate thing, he'll never do enough to satisfy you. He didn't shake my hand. Oh, man, he didn't even talk to me. I was there Wednesday night. He didn't even say, he walked right by me. Well, he could have been thinking about 17 other things. If you make your spouse the ultimate thing in your life, they're going to disappoint. They will never live up because they cannot handle being the ultimate thing. Let God be the ultimate thing. And then guess what? You'll be able to enjoy all the good things that God puts in your life. Amen. But whatever it is that causes... If you want want an idol detector, how do you detect idols in your life? It's that thing that makes you want to die if you can't have it. That's your idol. It's whatever causes you to despair. If the, and when, when it disappoints you and you despair, that's your idol. Amen. And that disappointment, if you don't watch it, it'll grow. It'll turn into other things. And if disappointment, if it is not dealt with, it grows into something a lot uglier. And can I tell you what you need to do? You need to take your disappointment. You need to take it to God immediately. Take your burdens to the Lord like they were just singing about a little bit ago. Cast all your care upon Him. And if you're going to run, don't run like Elijah did. Run to God. Don't run away from God. When you have disappointment in your life, number one, watch for growth. Number two, watch for guilt. Watch for guilt. I want you to notice Elijah's reasoning for wanting to die. He said at the end of verse number four, he said, For I am not better than my fathers. You see that little phrase right there? He said, I am not better than my fathers. What's he talking about? I don't think he's talking about his daddy and his grandpa and his great-grandfather. I think what he's talking about right there, I think he's talking about the prophets that went on before him. A lot of times that the, the, the older prophets would be called father and the younger son, and, think, and, and there was that kind of father-son relationship right there. I think what he's talking about right there, and I'm not dogmatic on it, but it seems to make sense and fit with the context here. I think what he's talking about is the prophets that were before me, they couldn't straight this country out either, straighten this country out either. 
I'm no better than them. He took it personally, didn't he? I'm tell you what, disappointment, if you'll let it, it has a way to go straight to your heart and you'll take it personally. When somebody doesn't do right, when somebody doesn't turn out right, when you have a kid that don't turn out right, you got a prodigal. When preachers have church members and, and, and he's preached to them and loved them and tried to help them and they're still rebellious and they're still carnal and they still ain't living right. They take, Samuel took it personally, didn't he, when Israel wanted a king? God said, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. You take everything, we have a tendency to take everything personally. I'm not better than anybody else. And really, honestly, a lot of that is just pride is all it is because it, it leads us to think that we're in control of a lot more than what we really are. Can I tell you something? Let me give you some help right here. I hope this helps somebody. I know this is a little, little different this morning, but I hope this helps somebody. I want you to listen to this right here. People have a free will. Amen. Jezebel had a free will. She chooses to do what she wants to do. There's people with a free will and there's a God with a sovereign plan. And all you have, you, don't, you have a free will, you can exercise it. You, you don't have a, the opportunity to have, make sovereign plans like God does. God has His plans. But I'll tell you what you do have. You have a daily choice whether you're going to obey God or not. And that's it. I want you to look in the mirror today and I want, you to, I want you to look in that mirror and I want you to realize that you control one person and that's it. That's the only person. Elijah control one person. That's it. He can show people God. He can preach about God. He can call the fire down from heaven. He can pray for the rain to stop and pray for it to come back on. He can believe God. He can trust God. He can serve God. He can try to stay faithful. But at the end of the day, he wasn't able to change one heart and one mind. In fact, Elijah recognizes it in his prayer. Go back to chapter 18. And he says he wanted these people to know that thou hast turned their heart. It, has to, it takes God to turn somebody's heart. And it takes people not hardening their heart and rebellion, people being willing. It takes a cooperation, doesn't it? I can't change him. I can't make anybody more spiritual or less spiritual in here. I can't make one prodigal come home. I can't help one marriage. I can't help one family. I can't help one young person in here. I am literally helpless. I am literally helpless. But I'm not pointless, all right? So don't fire me. Because I am, I, I do have a point. In fact, I have a pointer. And I point, my job is not the guy that fixes everything. My job is to point to the one who does and the one who can. And my job is not to say, hey, I have all the answers. My job is to say, I know the man who has all the answers. I know the book that has all the answers. And that's it. And you can control one person, and that's all. And before you let disappointment in people go straight to your heart, you better remember, you better remember, you better remember that. You only control one. There's three factors going on right here. I'm trying to hurry, but listen. There's three factors going on right here. And I want you to remember this. This is what the Lord showed me this week. First of all, there's the not ever going on. There's the not ever. Jezebel is the not ever. Can I tell you something about Jezebel? She wasn't right. She ain't right. She never does get right. Listen to me real close. There are some things... They ain't never going to get better. There are some people, they're not going to get saved. I'm sorry to say that, but it's just true. Listen, there are some young people, there are some prodigals we're praying for. They ain't coming on, they ain't ever going to. They're going to die in the far country. And as a, as a pastor, sometimes I have to, I don't like that. And I don't like to come to that. And I, I don't write people off as that because I don't know who is and who ain't. And as long as your story is still being written and you got breath in your lungs, I'm, never, I'm not putting anybody in that category, but I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't people in that category because the Bible says it. 
If there weren't people in that category, there wouldn't be anybody in hell. And you have to come to grips with the fact that there are some situations that are not ever. It's going to be that way at your job. It's that way in your home. Listen, there are some things. Listen, you may never make the money you want to make. You may never have the job you want to have. You may never drive the car. There are some things that may... Listen, I know Joe Osteen ain't preaching this this morning. But listen, cheer up. It might get worse. People don't pack pews to hear a preacher say, Listen, it may never happen. But that's the truth, ain't it? Isn't it the truth? Jezebel never got right. Oh, Elijah's in the wilderness mourning over the fact Jezebel didn't get right with God. And it don't ever happen. And listen, if you're serving God, loving God, worshiping God, following God, if it's dependent upon a Jezebel getting right, you ain't ever going to worship God. You ain't ever going to serve God. Because she ain't ever going to get right. She's going to die being licked up by the dogs. Amen. So, well, I wish my husband was it. He may never be. You're going to have to get over it. <laughs> well, I wish my church was it. may never be. I wish people would. It may never happen. There's the not ever. And God help us to not let what will never happen rob us of enjoying what God has for us today. Some of y'all so worried about things that may never happen that you're not even enjoying what God's done for you right now. Amen. It may never happen. Jezebel never gets right. There's the not ever. But let me give you another factor to consider. There's the not yet. See, Ahab was a not yet. Ahab actually, a couple chapters down the road, he actually humbles his heart again before God, and God gives him some mercy. And I know his life's up and down, but God did a work. God did a work. Jezebel had to get out of the way first. That's another message in itself. But there was a, a work of grace that happened in Ahab's life. Eventually, he had a turning to God moment towards the end of his life. And can I tell you, some of this stuff is just timing. It may not be a not ever, it just may be a not yet that God's put in your life. It just may not be the right time. Elijah wanted Ahab to get right with God right then, but he was going to get right with God at another time. How about that? It's timing. Some things are not. Some things won't be right. We want, we want everything to be right down here, but some things won't be right until Jesus is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem on this earth. Amen. Until he comes again. There's the not ever. There's the not yet. Then there's the not seen. Isn't that what God shows Elijah? In verse number 18, he said, Elijah, I got 7,000 that haven't even bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah's like, I'm the only one. God says, you're stupid. You just can't see them. And can I tell you something? You might be disappointed thinking, nothing's happening and it's getting worse and everything. And there may be things happening you have no idea about. Amen and amen. Just because you can't see it don't mean God's not doing anything. So you know what that means we need to do? We need to quit blaming ourselves, beating up on ourselves, and thinking it's all... Listen, the world is not dependent upon you being God. Let God be God. You serve God, and you let God figure it all out. 
Listen, I don't care if I preach to a houseful or a handful. I want to stay faithful. I don't care if all the young people love God or none of them love God. I don't care if my family goes with me or they don't go with me. I don't care if I help one single person the rest of my life. I want to stay faithful because He is worthy, not because things are happening that I want to happen. I got dreams, I got goals, I got expectations, I got plans. I want to see them come to place. And God has already brought to pass a lot of the things that He put in my heart as a young preacher. And I thank God for that. But can I tell you, if that is what my spiritual walk is dependent on, I'm messed up. I'm doomed for failure. And so are you. Don't let your disappointment turn into growth, turn into growth, things that grow beyond disappointment, despair and defeat. Watch for growth. Watch for guilt. Can I give you one last one? I'm done. Man, I preach a long time. Number three, watch for God. Watch for God. Look what he says in verse number five. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him, said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and He did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him, saying, Rise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Elijah's sitting in that bush. (laughs) He's out of the will of God because he's being driven by his disappointment. He was moving at God's word, and now he's moving at Jezebel's word. Isn't that amazing? Out of the will of God. And guess who shows up? The Lord shows up. That I'll let some of you theologians figure that out, but a lot of times in verse 7, when you see that angel of the Lord, that's talking about a pre-incarnate Jesus. It's talking about the Son of God. I'll let you figure all that out. But if it's not God, it's somebody He sent. He is a representative of God. I'm just going to believe God showed up. You say, why do you believe that? Because that's the kind of God we have. He'll show up in your little pity party bush. And you know what I found right here? I found when God touched him on the shoulder, Elijah, Elijah. I don't know about you, but if I'm Elijah running from out of the will of God, mad, Lord, just kill me. That was his prayer. If I'm a, when God comes and wakes me up, I'm expecting a whoop, slap upside the head. Boy, what's wrong with you? Bam. Get up here. Get back where you're supposed to be. Maybe a good rebuke. Maybe a good tongue lashing. Maybe a good whooping. But now he brings them some food. Hallelujah. You didn't know God worked for DoorDash, did you? He's got birds working for DoorDash. He's got all kinds of things working. Man, that's right. DoorDash didn't come up with nothing. God's been delivering meals for a long time. I put this in my, you know, I'm working on some meals of mercy. This is in my meals of mercy category right here. Because Elijah should have been slapped upside the head. But instead, he's given some food right in the middle of his pity party. Right in the middle of being out of the will of God. When disappointment has messed him up, God doesn't torch him. God touches him. I'm thankful for a God like that. 
I'm glad for it. Listen, you might be disappointed in yourself. You might be disappointed in people. And you might even be disappointed in God. But can I tell you something? He's never been disappointed in you. That's a theological statement you need to think about. Disappointment is unmet expectation. Has God been displeased with us? Probably so. But has He ever been disappointed? No, He's never been disappointed because that means He had to expect something out of us. That He had to be surprised by something that happened. And God doesn't get surprised. He loves you right where you are. He come to you right where you are. In fact, Elijah just ate a little bit of food and then he rolled over and went back to sleep. He didn't even acknowledge God's blessing. And so what did God do? He touched him a second time. He said, I'm going to touch you again, Elijah. Let's try this one more time. i got something I need to say to you. That is the mercy of God. What a merciful God we have. Listen, God gives us help and God gives us healing and God gives us hope. Your disappointment does not have to be the last chapter of your life. God was not done. He said, Elijah, get up. You're going to need this food. I'm going to give you some strength. Why? Because i got a journey for you to go on. i got a, I got a task for you. i got some people that need to be anointed. i got a, I got a, a young man that needs to be put in the ministry named Elisha. I got things that are going on. You got a journey. You're going to need this food right here. And I'll tell you, when you're at your lowest and you're disappointed, you don't feel like you're ever going back. You don't feel like you're ever going to go on. Just watch for God because He'll stop by. He'll come by where you're at. and He'll give you something. And listen, if you'll eat it, if you'll take it, He'll set it out there for you. God didn't stuff it down Elijah's throat. He said, all right, Elijah, get up. Here's a meal. Here's some food. I have the strength that you need to overcome what you've been going through. But you're going to have to pick it up and you're going to have to eat it. I'm going to tell you what, that's what God has done for us and that's what He will do for us. He'll come to us and in His mercy and in His grace He'll say, look, I know you've been hurt. I know things haven't turned out the way that you thought they would. That's okay. Get up. Here's some strength for you. And if you'll get, and by the way, that word of God, some good strength for you right there. When you're disappointed, can I tell you where to go? Go to the word of God. Go to the strength that He has for you. Pick it up, put it in, and eat it. And then take this. And that's what Elijah does. He said, God says, I got a, I got a, I got a journey for you. And what does he do? I think it's verse number nine. And he came thither into a cave, and Elijah, he went to where God told him to go. He went to Horeb, the Mount of God. And there's a lot, I, I'm, maybe next time I'll get into that Horeb. That's an interesting place. That's interesting that he went there. God sent him there. But there's obedience on his part. And can I tell you what? When you're at your lowest, you're disappointed, if you will just receive the strength that God has for you, and if you'll just take that next step of obedience, I'll tell you what, God will give you what you need. And I'm going to tell you what, what a merciful God we have just to help us in our times of disappointment. Listen, you might, there's some people that are mad at God. They feel like the reason things have happened is because God allowed them to happen this way. God, why didn't you? Why didn't it? Why didn't things? Why did? And you're just full of questions. And listen, some of those things you'll never have answers to. You don't need an answer. You think you do, but you don't need an answer. You just have an anchor to hold on to. And God will give you strength you need. Just take it, receive it, and obey Him. Take that next step of obedience. And God will help you. He's not done with you. God has some things for you. Let's stand together all over the building this morning.